one God. Christ is in our midst. Beloved in Christ, I greet you with the feast of our beloved Appa Herman. Appa is what they call him in Alaska, which means grandfather. It's a loving term, term of endearment. And uh, since some may not be familiar with his life, I thought I'd give just a brief glimpse of the life of St. Herman and a couple reflections. He was born in Russia around the year 1756, St. Herman, and he entered the monastery at the age of 16. So if you're 15, you know you still have time to make up your mind. We have any, okay? He entered the monastic life at the Holy Trinity, St. Sergius Hermitage near St. Petersburg. Later, he became a disciple of Elder Nazarius, who was also the spiritual father of St. Seraphim of Sarov. And he moved to the Valam Monastery, which is um, in northern Russia, in the middle of a huge island, northern Russia. During this time, the head of the Golikov-Shelikov Company, who was doing work, Russian, a Russian company that was doing work in Alaska, trading, he visited Valam and made a request for several monks to begin a mission to the Alaskan territory. Father Herman was selected, along with seven other monks. They arrived in, on Kodiak Island, Alaska, September 24, 1794. The monks, they educated and converted the Aleuts, or native Alaskans, baptizing 7,000 people and solemnizing, so crowning 1,500 marriages just in their first year of work there. As time progressed, they found themselves protecting the natives from exploitation and abuse. Because of this moral stance, the monks themselves were abused. They were arrested and physically threatened. They cared more about eternal riches than temporary ones. In time, enduring hardship, inclement weather, illness, and more, Herman stood as the only remainder from the original band of missionaries. After Kodiak, he settled on Spruce Island. Kodiak is a larger island. Spruce Island is tiny, about 17 square miles, I think, establishing a small monastic habitation that he called Nuvalam. Father Herman felt it was his duty to protect the native Alaskans from exploitation. He defended them against the often cruel treatment of those who controlled the colony, which he documented and presented before the governors of the colony. And he loved the children. He loved children. Even setting up a small orphanage on Spruce Island. And he taught the youths from all over the archipelago the elements of horticulture. He taught them about the faith. And he's also known for baking them cookies and giving them cookies. Not something you think of an ascetic, you know, monastic doing. The natives regarded him as their intercessor before God. And when there was a, a tidal wave coming toward the island, he took an icon of the Theotokos and placed it on the beach and assured the people that the water would not rise beyond the place where the icon was, and it did not. When there was a great fire on the island, he dug a trench 
and stayed the flames. Prior to his death, he foretold that there would be no priest to bury him, and that he would be forgotten for 30 years. He died on December 13, 1837, and was forgotten until the first investigation of his life in 1867. 30 years later, as Father Herman prophesied, by Bishop Peter of Alaska. One interesting thing, I heard Father Michael Alexa say, he's, you know, from Alaska, well, he, he's an Orthodox priest who has served in Alaska most of his life, and his expertise is Alaskan spirituality, the, the, the spirituality of the Orthodoxy, and the uh, the merging and the missionizing of native people in the Orthodox faith and what that looks like culturally, these beautiful insights. And he said, something that should not, should not surprise us, but probably would, because we don't quite get it. Even though St. Herman has physically died, many of them are convinced that he's still alive. They see him, they interact with him, they request his intercessions. So I don't even find myself worthy to speak about this holy man with his tenderness and his guilelessness. Just thinking about him exposes me right away, my own impatience and selfishness, which are quickly revealed when I look into the face of St. Herman. See in the icon, we have a reproduction of his icon in the middle here. When I look into his transcendent gaze, and I make eye contact with those eyes that have shed so many tears. Yet within this initial reaction of my unworthiness and, and sense of humility is also the revelation of my own false humility. <laughs> I'm not worthy to speak of him, and then he reveals to me my own false humility. It'd be easy to see the angelic man as a, a juxtaposition to myself. And yet while he was no stranger to the angels, He's called a converser with the angels in the hymns. Well, he was no stranger to the angels. He accomplished that which even the angels look upon with a sense of wonder, which is union with God, the divinization of humanity. And St. Herman, it's easy to quickly and uh, easily identify what we might call an earthy or organic spirituality. Not a false dualistic one that separates the person from the creation, but one that unites the person with the creation. As the very cells of the body of man are formed and held together by the Word of God, Christ, the Logos and Word of God, as, as it's by His spoken Word <coughs> that all of matter, all that is, has come into being, humble monk seemed to understand this, so he did not eschew the world, but he became united to it. So it makes sense to me to see him, <coughs> excuse me, as one who came to perceive of creation aright. He came to see creation as it really is, to rightly perceive of creation. It makes sense to see one who plunged his hands into the earth, into the soil and gathered baskets of kelp 
in order to fertilize his garden. To see one that baked cookies and kneeled down with children. In Appa, we find a man not for whom creation was not worthy, but who was made worthy of creation as it truly is. He became a man, a worthy steward of the earth and its people. Because he was made worthy to see creation as it truly is, his holy hands reinvited even a sense of Eden into the cold wilds of Alaska. He reclaimed the soil, the seeds in the sea. He discerned the life, the power of the Logos of God, which is present in all. And I must warn you that when this takes place, one's life comes to be a living epiclesis, a living invocation of the Holy Spirit upon the elements that have been set forth, as we say in the liturgy. The epiclesis is when we call down the Holy Spirit on the elements of the bread and the wine, and they're transformed into the body and blood of Christ. The earth, which is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, comes to be divided and distributed. The earth of all rational, irrational, excuse me, and created things, the earth of all the stuff of nature, but also the earth of rational creatures, even our thoughts, can come to be set forth as on a patent before God. We see the image of this, our very life, in the great entrance when the patent comes through with the simple things, a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine. We find ourselves on the earth as those simple elements being brought forth and placed upon the holy altar. The living invocation of the Holy Spirit in such persons is Appa Herman. It leaves no room for distinction between what is common and what's uncommon, but only between what's existent and what's non-existent. And what's existent, beloved in Christ, what is existent is to become sanctified. Everything that is, is, is to become sanctified by the invocation of the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't happen now in our lives by our own free will, for the salvation and restoration of the creation, then it will happen. It will happen on that most awesome and truly fearful day of the Lord's reclaiming of all things unto himself. And while as yet we're able to choose love, it's time for us to begin to try to see the world as it is. Not to disconnect, but to connect. To touch, to plunge our hands into the soil, to lift up the ill and the little ones to God, and to become more concerned with what is and less concerned with what isn't. For us, a lot of times, that means slowing down. Stop and smell the roses. <laughs> Take nothing for granted. What we must see then, you see, is not the despicable and hideous garment that cloaks creation with a kind of false veneer or a facade, but, but to see through the vanity of cold and shallow perception and to allow the candle that burns within us that allows us to see that candle that burns within us to shed warmth and light on what we see when we seek to see that all, all that is, when we seek to see all that is with 
warmth and with love and with the tenderness demonstrated by Saint Herman. We come to fall in love. We come to fall in love with all that is. We fall in love with creation. Can't love God and not love his creation, the work of his hands. He gives us this reminder. In one of his writings, he wrote, the vain desires of the world separate us from our homeland. Love of them, of vain desires and habit, clothe our souls as if in a hideous gar garment, as if in a hideous gar garment. We who travel on the journey of this life and call on God to help us, we ought to divest ourselves of this garment and clothe ourselves in new desires, in a new love of the age to come, and thereby receive knowledge of how near or how far we are from our heavenly homeland. It's important to remember that that which we anticipate is already here too, already but not yet. So we have the ability to experience the reality of our heavenly homeland even now. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's in the midst of us. So we desire, just, excuse me, divest. We divest ourselves of the false garment of vanity. And in turn, we see through the facade of evil and its influence. See, it's not just about divesting ourselves of the vanity, but it's about ridding ourselves of the lenses that see the vanity of things around us that make us skeptics and critics. So we start to see through the facade of the evil and its influence to a creation that's yet learn, yearning and longing for its restoration. This restoration was in, inaugurated at the incarnation of God. It continues, as we become incarnate as he is, we become like he is. Our feet firmly planted on the reality of life in God through Christ by the grace of the Holy Spirit. We've heard stories about certain saints that, that were witnessed with their feet off of the ground, you know, during prayer. I just want to know what it means to have my feet on the ground. <laughs> then maybe you'll see me floating in the air someday. To be in touch with God's creation, the energy of God's life present everywhere and to love it for what it is, never to despise it. So when I look into the tear-streaming eyes of Appa Herman, I encounter the gaze of someone who sees, not someone who sees through. This is why in some icons of him and other saints, we find an indelible furrow of tears running down the face. I have a picture of an icon of St. Herman. I think it's kept in Alaska that shows continuous tears running down his face. The tears of a father, a true human, someone who would not only pray that the stone be lifted from your path, but who would actually bend down beneath it and begin lifting it with you to remove it from your path. So today he reminds me that I'm not too humble to speak of him because he sees me and enables me, the child that I am, to begin to see as well. So let's first raise the elements of ourselves and offer them as on a holy pattern 
of the earth to Christ our God. Let's allow the tears of love for creation to create furrows on our cheeks as well. Let's kneel down and, and offer a cookie and embrace and a prayer for our little ones. Through the intercessions of our Holy Father Herman, our North Star and fervent intercessor, may Christ our true God have mercy on us and save us. Amen.